0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com
1: for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Football is finally back, and so is the full group of this formcast. Dylan, nice of you to uh, make time for us again. I uh, appreciate it. Well, you guys actually left me out the other day. So. Yeah, yeah, my bad. I, well, I, I you thought- were working. I was working, but I was I was off in time. Dude, you just said
2: you were. Oh,
1: no. yeah. No, he was off in time. It was off in time. We just didn't talk to him. Yeah. So it's, good. yeah. it's okay.
0: I forgive you guys. All right. Good cool. to be back. Dude.
1: Anyway, it's a big week. Uh, Iowa football is finally coming back. Feels like this summer is just sort of dragged on forever. Uh, we had our chance to finally talk to Kirk Ferentz for the first time, at least in in terms of a game week preparation. It's obviously a lot different talking to him when they're actually preparing to play a team instead of just practicing to uh, get better. So a couple things I want to hit on real quick from the start. Uh, A quote that stuck out to me, uh, I was talking to Nate Stanley a little bit, and I asked him, is it going to be nice to finally go up against a defense that's not his own, and he was like, yeah, it really is, because the defense and the offense know each other so well, it's really difficult for the offense to even move the ball because when they call an audible or something the defense knows what the audible is so despite them being in different coverage they'll do what they're supposed to do to make an interception or make a play uh so he's he's excited to finally go up against a defense that's not iowa's but it's gonna have a couple iowa players in, in uh cedric boswell and manny ragumba
2: yeah i mean i don't blame him gino stone said the same thing he just tried to get out there and hit someone i think that's kind of what the whole team's mentality is at this point Really nothing big from the players in terms of interviews. Um, we kind of got the full gist of everything going on during media day a few weeks back. I did want to mention one thing Gino Stone said, that he feels like there are three safeties right now in their group that really, really like are capable of helping this defense a lot, and that's him, Kayvon Merriweather, and Jack Kerner. Didn't mention anyone else. said Dane Belton's been coming along a little bit, but he's still got a way to go. Um, as Kirk Ferentz mentioned, too, that he really doesn't see any true freshman playing on the defensive end either, which I found interesting. Because you look at kind of dating back to kids' day, we all kind of saw Dane Belton as maybe chipping into that role, but as like a safety somewhere. but Essential cash. Yeah. some yeah,
0: Is that playing or playing more than four games?
1: Uh, more, more than four games, but... He also didn't rule out the possibility of them playing in special teams. And what I found interesting from today, which we'll get to it in a bit, was he said Iowa freshman running backs Shadrick Bird and Tyler Goodson. He said they could play on the offense, they could help out with the offense or on special teams. He's not sure which, and that that kind of surprised me a little bit. Not because like Tyler Goodson, uh, at least I think Tyler Goodson. Maybe Shad Bird showed some things over the last week or so that really emerged uh, himself. Uh, but hope on the offensive but the special teams kind of, not worries me, but kind of, it's it's surprising because I don't think you'd want to blow a redshirt on a running back to play on special teams. No,
2: no. And he mentioned a few on offense as well. He didn't say any names. I was waiting for someone to ask, me, ask him that, about what kind of names are standing out on the freshman end because he said that there are a few guys that can play. I'm predicting, I put it in my article the other day on HawkeyeInsider.com that I could see... Sam Laporta fitting in somewhere at tight end. Now that Sean Byer's back, maybe that makes it a little more difficult for him to get on the field. Um, I did mention Belton as well, and I mentioned Goodson, who I think could get more reps at offense on the in the backfield. So it'll be interesting to see what comes about. I don't really see any of these guys playing. Maybe the I mean, they'll play, but they're definitely not in the plans to play right away, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah. No, for sure. And I I think it comes down to for Goodson is if he can take advantage of the early opportunities, because we've kind of mentioned on here before, the first couple games should not be close, but Iowa has a way of winning these games comfortably by the scoreboard, but don't really dominate through the entire game. We saw that last year with Northern Illinois, when Iowa was up three zero at halftime, it took torn young's 40 yard run, which ended up being the longest run of the season really helped kind of break things open in that 33, seven victory But, you know, like you said, I I think there's a couple freshman playmakers. I do think Laporta can move up because I think Laporta from the – I don't think people really understand what they have in Laporta because everyone I've talked to media-wise, high school coaching-wise, coaching-wise has been extremely high on Laporta and said that he's going to end up being a guy that goes to Iowa and all the other college coaches are asking where they find this kid. Why didn't we offer this kid? Uh but I also think that's also due to the fact that Josiah Meeman and Logan Lee were also in the I think a two-hour vicinity of San Laporta, so that whole area was just congested with talented tight ends that maybe he just got overshadowed because he played in a smaller in a smaller league. But fifty touchdowns at any level of football is no joke for receiving yeah. for a career.
2: Because take into account, I'm not sure how many games they really played in the postseason, but you're playing. I don't know. Probably nine, game, nine games in the regular season, yeah, but it depends. I don't know how far they made it in the yeah. playoffs. Yeah, at most three four. or four somewhere in there. Yeah, probably. Well, yeah, no. But I'm saying. So, I mean, that's over no, a touchdown game. No, no. But I'm saying I don't know how far like they're going in the playoffs. But
1: for his entire career, I mean, let's say they played nine regular season games, right? Ten at most. Uh, four years, if the easy four-year varsity player, it's 40 games without playoff appearances. He's averaging. He averaged probably a touchdown a game. Yeah. Yeah, Which sure is pretty bizarre for a receiver, especially.
2: Yeah. I'm sure there were games, too, where maybe it was a lower scoring game, he didn't get anything, but then there were some games where he just went off three or four touchdowns a night, something along those lines, and just really asserted his dominance. He's
1: a guy who's also put on like 15, 15, 16 pounds since he got to campus. I think yeah. he was only 225 uh, when he signed and committed to when he came to Iowa.
2: Yeah, so. I talked to someone the other day, and they said that it's been, obviously with Chris Doyle, it's going to be all good weight, but he looks like that weight has definitely helped him a ton.
1: Another thing that was kind of interesting on the offensive side, and Dylan, while you kind of break down Makai Sargent here a little bit, but he he said that he hasn't seen much change in the, his physique, but Makai said that... He he's been told that people think he's thinner, but he did say I'm a lot stronger. Because keep in mind he missed Doyle's summer program last year because he arrived in August. So for him to, you know, and now he's really up to speed. Now he knows the playbook. Now he's been through a very Chris Doyle influenced summer, and he was already a pretty strong kid uh, coming in coming into Iowa. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what he says. But Sargent said that he's done a lot of work in terms of. Uh, really breaking down the film. And he said, I don't even really watch. I, I stopped watching myself. I, I really started watching the offensive linemen and what they were doing because there'd be times where Nate Stanley would hand the ball off to him and then Makai would end up going the same way when he was supposed to go the other way. I mean, it was simple miscommunications like that. But again, it's tough to walk into a situation as a running back and really have a full grasp on the strength program, the culture, and the playbook right when you first get on campus.
0: I mean, you guys kind of know my feelings on, on him. I think towards the end of the year, just his production is going to kind of you know, and like you said, David, he wasn't here in the summer, so he didn't get that that summer to kind of work with the team, work with the strength staff. So, you know, now that he's gotten offseason under his belt, and you kind of saw it towards the, you know, the latter part of last season, just what he's capable of. Um, you know, five nine two twelve. I think he that's not a huge jump in weight but obviously you can you know shed some bad stuff and and just become stronger but you don't have to you don't actually have to gain weight so i mean i think i think it's a two running back thing right now i think every kelly martin's the guy that's kind of on the outside looking in and i mean i think Sargent goes over a thousand yards this year i don't i don't think there's any question in my opinion
1: that'd be huge too. I mean if it happened because they haven't had I mean, even when Akron Wadley went over a thousand yards as a senior, it wasn't that impressive and he was basically a one man committee at the time because that's when Torn Young and Ivory Kelly Martin uh were just coming into the program. Torn Young a little bit more experienced, but he didn't really have a support system in that at the time. So if he gets over a thousand that's big and it's pressure off Nate Stanley, which is something that has to happen this year.
0: Well and if if he can step up kind of in the You know when it comes to pass protection and then in the passing game I mean Wadley was obviously so valuable as a pass catcher out of the backfield um you know if Sargent can kind of you know maybe be half that three quarters of that and then obviously uh Torrin Young is probably your pass blocking guy just because of the you know the strength and the size there but if Sargent can help out there I mean he could be a three down back I'm I'm really high on him heading
1: into the year. And he's a good blocker. Yeah. That's the biggest thing about him. We saw him, I mean, last year, un- I mean, undersized height-wise, but he's a very stable uh, pass protector last year, and we saw a couple times throughout the, the summer videos and the fall camp videos that Iowa put together. I mean, he laid he laid some pretty big-time blocks on guys like Jimon Colbert and a couple other people. I mean, he's he's a very good uh, pass protector.
2: Yeah, and I think just taking more pressure off of Stanley because – you guys know with Stanley that he kind of gets down on himself a little bit and really beats himself up when he messes up or when things kind of get out of hand with stuff. He's kind of—I mean—he's calm for the most part, but when things kind of when things don't go his way, he tends to get frustrated at times. It's which...
1: n- yeah. I mean, I was gonna say really quick. So I'm sorry. Uh, but it kind of—he's not very outwardly emotion about it, but you can see on the field with this play and the way he kind of goes about the next the next rep the next. Uh, you know, whatever. I mean, I think the Penn State game is the best example of that. Uh, granted, he persevered through that bad thumb injury, but 19 of 48, and he just couldn't hit. He just couldn't hit anything. Um, well, and then
0: the massive mistake there at the end, where just miscommunication, and you know, that obviously that comes with experience. But you know, a guy who's in his second year, you know, towards the end of it, you expect him to, you know, just call that timeout. Obviously, you know, you're you're confused. Your guys are confused. You have timeouts, just burn one and get everything straight. So, I mean, and and that should be there this year for him.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, uh, for sure. And I, you know, I think Stanley—he's I mean, the most experienced quarterback in the Big Ten. And you know, it's like I said earlier, I think he's ready just to go up against a different defense. Like it's hard, I think it's even for the Big Ten guys because they came to Iowa so late and they said, "Oh, Nate Stanley struggled." Well, maybe it's because the defense knows the playbook. And the fact that people... like It's one of those things, too, where I feel like people won't fully appreciate Stanley until he's gone. He hasn't been that big-time dynamic winner that they've wanted out of him because they know the potential he has. But he's never been a bad quarterback for Iowa. I mean, 52 touchdowns in two years. I know people feel like he's left a lot of points on the board, but that's one complaint. But he still he still averaged over 29 points a game since he started his career.
2: Yeah, and I think the one thing with that is Stanley's first season of starting he got a lot of flack for overthrowing guys and just not having the best touch on the football which yeah it's understandable like that's frustrating as a fan to see but when you look at it in terms of what he had at that point in terms of wide receiver you had Amir Smith-Marset who was a freshman Nick Easley wasn't really all that proven yet um Matt Vandenberg was struggling. He didn't have really those targets. I mean, Noah Fant was good. TJ Hawkinson was still kind of more of that blocking type tight end. He didn't have the type of weapons that you need in order to really take that next step. And now he's got those guys, and I think that's why they're so everything. People's expectations are so high with him now is because he has what he needs to be successful.
0: Well, I mean, I don't even know if there was a lot of expectations for him coming in. I mean, we're talking about a guy who could leave Iowa as you know the career leader in passing touchdowns. Should and he had Iowa's brought fra- he had offers from Iowa, Wisconsin, and Pittsburgh. So I mean, this isn't a guy that was heavily
1: recruited coming out of high school. Keep in mind the Wisconsin offer came late. It was when Paul Christ first got. Uh, it was when Paul Christ first got the job. And a lot of people in Wisconsin feel like, hey, we need to offer this kid. So when they try to go get Nate Stanley, Nate Stanley just said thanks but no thanks because he was one of Iowa's earliest commits in that recruiting class. And, I
0: mean, that even, yeah, that takes the the point you, you hammered home a little bit further. So, I mean, you, I, mean I don't want to say, you know, temper your expectations, but, I mean, this guy's given this program a lot already. You know, it's still with one year left. I mean, uh, it's been an impressive career so far.
1: And I think he's one – the. I think him and Josie Jewel are the only two or three-time captains of the team too. So, obviously, he's very respected in the locker room. And the work ethic from everything that we've ever heard about Stanley, it's second to none. I mean, this is his whole life. I mean, Kirk Ferentz's main point about Nate Stanley, he's progressed the way he's won him. But they just – Kirk just wants to see him have fun because he doesn't feel like that he has fun. And that's kind of I, – I think that's been pretty noticeable because he hasn't smiled a lot. I mean, he's not really – joking type. He's very Kirk Ferentz-like in his interviews in terms of he knows how to answer, he knows how to play the game. Uh, But, you know, I, I do think that Sean brings up a good point about, especially the wide receiver weapons, because this season, this is by far the most talent he's had in the wide receiver room. And if those guys can emerge the running game will be there because it's going to force Iowa to st- – I mean, opposing defenses to stop putting eight guys in the box, which is something that they did all last year. And that's why Sargent, you know, Werfs and Jackson, all those guys, they couldn't block – I mean, they can't block eight guys with five or six. got to be able to spread out the defense. Well, and I watched the the bowl game. It was
0: on – it was on ESPNU last night. Yeah. I guess Monday night. And, gosh, those safeties were just – Always creeping, always down by the line of screen. And it burned them on the easily pass. Mm-hmm. And there was another pass where it burned them because they were always just hammering down, waiting for that run. And it's another reason. I think Sargent carried the ball seven times for, like, negative three yards in that game. Yeah. Mississippi State was locked in on that run, and then Iowa hits them with, you know, something over the top. Now you get guys like Smith-Marset and Smith, guys that, you know, Smith-Marset especially, guys that can stretch the field and blow that top off the defense. I mean, it just opens up more room, and then you you know you get the the blockers out in front. I was going to have a good offensive line; they always do. So if you can you know get more space, clear guys out with guys like Smith, Marsette, and Smith. I mean, it's only gonna, it's just going to help the offense as a whole, really.
1: Yeah, and you know I, I think that's a good point, and that was something. I mean, if you rewatch that game, and I, I rewatched it a couple of times myself over the offseason because I needed to see actual football being played, uh, but. I mean, it's kind of weird to say, but that might have been one of Nate Stanley's best games as a, as a Hawkeye because keep in mind that Mississippi State defense is was essentially a pro defense. I mean, the fact that Iowa, uh, the Iowa offense produced the most explosive play against that defense all year when they come out of the SEC, um, I think like three or four of those guys were first-round draft picks in that Mississippi State defense. They scored 27 points on essentially a pro defense, but – the, besides that one interception, which it, it was, I think Stanley took a step back last year because he kind of locked into rec- receivers a couple times, and there's always one, I think at least one pass a game where you just set back and said, what are you doing? I mean, threw in a double coverage, you'd get picked off. Because Nate Stanley saved the touchdown because he chased the guy down after he picked it off against Mississippi State. Uh, but, no, I, I think if he can just eliminate the mistakes and if they can just – Make the defense, I mean, the defense is so predictable because Iowa couldn't run the football and Iowa's receivers weren't explosive enough. But now they have more, I think, more experience. They have a lot more depth, which leads me into my next topic, which I'm shocked that we've gone 17 and a half minutes without mentioning the biggest story in Iowa football right now Oliver Martin. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the
2: wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
1: People are on, I think people are just on very high alert, including, I mean, all the media members. I know we have, I know a lot of other, uh, you know, outlets have been as well. But I think we are drawing close to a conclusion about what's going to happen there. Uh, You know, I I will say this, and this is what struck me about the press conference today, which I don't know why a lot of other people didn't pick up on this, but they were asking about Martin and the transfer process and, you know, if, if Martin would be out there. Uh, with the game this week, and Kirk said it was—I'm paraphrasing—but basically the point was this: if we get the green light, he's gonna go. We're not necessarily game planning for him, but we're treating him as if he's going to be eligible. That's not a Kirk Ferentz-like answer when it comes to that stuff, because Kirk said, I, I, I at least I would think Kirk would say something along along the lines of like." Yeah, you know, I think we have a really good game plan going into the game. If he's there, it's going to be a bonus. But the fact that he said we're going to treat it as, you know, at this point he's going to be eligible, you got to wonder if they really feel good about the case they have or if they've already cleared a couple steps through the process. Maybe some T's need to be crossed and some I's need to be dotted.
0: I, mean, I think they've always kind of felt good about their spot, especially over the last couple of weeks just with, you know, rumors and whatnot that have been coming out. but. I think it would be irresponsible not to prepare. You know, obviously he's practicing. It's not like he can't practice. So I think it would be a little irresponsible not to, you know, at least game plan a little bit for him because, he, you know, he's going to be, he, arguably, he might be, if he's eligible this season, might be your best receiver. Yeah, so, overall, I would say I mean, so. I think it would be irresponsible to not, you know, prepare as if, you know, there's a chance that this guy's going to be eligible. Like, we want to make him feel as comfortable as possible because he can really help. You know, this air attack, you know, take that next step, especially with, you know, your top three receivers gone from, from last year and Hawkinson-Fant and Easley.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think the biggest thing about Martin, too, is he gives you that fifth option, which I, I think five is kind of that key number for wide receivers. If you have five wide receivers, you're in a really good spot. Four, you're doing okay. Three, not great, Uh unless you have two first-round tight ends, which Iowa did last year, obviously. Um But – I, I think if you have five wide receivers, it allows you to run that kind of two running back personnel with three wide you know, three wide three or four wide receivers out and especially with Martin's versatility. We saw him only what he only practiced what, Sean, seven seven times that before that kid's scrimmage.
2: Yeah, somewhere yeah. Somewhere so around that. On. Yeah Yeah. I mean he, he that sounds about right. He
1: he lined up inside and outside and in the slot. I mean, he was playing three different receiver positions despite only practicing for a week and a half. So the football knowledge is there, and he looks fairly comfortable in all three. He looked like it was the offense that he, not maybe destined for, but he looked, he looked like he could definitely play in the offense and he's comfortable in the offense.
2: I do think he's the glue that puts this whole offense together in terms of just how versatile and how overall skilled he is. He's great at running routes. He's very smooth catches the ball well catches the ball of course you gotta catch the ball to be a receiver but he just does so many things for you that he could be the difference between your team going eight and four and nine and three maybe even ten and two if you're feeling risky with that because he just does so many things that can help you get over that hump offensively like we saw i don't know like last year at penn state struggles with the offense i mean granted That was really crappy conditions, and there was really nothing that Iowa could do about it because the conditions on the field were so bad. But still, if you had a guy like Oliver Martin out there, at receiver, who can give you a big play when you need it, then that could change the whole momentum of the game.
1: And I will say this, and this has been nothing that's been leaked by the coaching staff or a player. This is just my perspective looking at the wide receiver roster as a whole and the characteristics of the players and everything like that because – what Emir Smith Marset's been praised as much as anyone coming out of this fall camp. I mean, every coach, every player, not shy. I mean, Brian Ferriss is a guy that really doesn't super praise a lot of people. He's the more of the I'm famous for blocking the hype train and all that stuff. He takes pride in it. He loves shutting it down. He was raving about Emir Smith Marset's growth as a leader, as a player, that you know, everything. I still think that Oliver Martin's arrivals pushed Emir Smith-Marset through summer and into fall because I've always said I think Martin, you know, I, I thought coming into the fall camp that if he was eligible, he would take Emir Smith-Marset's starting spot uh, because you're not going to put Oliver in the X position. You're not going to take out Brandon Smith because Brandon Smith's athleticism, size, blocking ability, which people don't realize how good of a blocker Brandon Smith is. I mean, he was the reason why Emir Smith-Marset scored on that passing touchdown in the bowl game because he blocked two guys on that play. Um, and you're not going to take out a guy like Nico Regani, who I still think could potentially and probably lead the team in receptions this year, more of a Nick Easley type. But you got two sure-hand receivers in Nico and Oliver, and then you got the 6'3 guy um, in Bran Smith. Then you have Ymir Smith-Marset as a burner. But you take out the burner because you don't want to lose the size. You don't want to lose that slot sure-handedness that got you 103 receptions in the past two years.
0: Yeah, but I mean, with Martin, it's... It's almost kind of getting annoying at this point. Oh, for sure. Um, and, I mean, I, you know, you just wish they'd make a decision because he's a guy, you know, you're obviously game planning for, but he's a guy that can play both. You know, he could play in the slot, and he could play, you know, outside where where Amir Smith-Marset's playing. And you're right, David, probably has pushed uh, Smith-Marset, uh, uh, you know, to another level, hopefully, because obviously competition's always good and, with the wide receiver group, the last what I don't know seven years since 2011, years, with McNutt and DJK, you know, fine, you know, Tevon Smith had his moments, um, but it's always kind of been about that guy underneath easily Vandenberg, uh, McCarron, Martin Manley, Martin Manley, and it's just you know, you lack the guy that you know, 2011, McNutt had I think 1300 receiving yards, yeah. and they just haven't had that since. and. It's, obviously, it's not realistic to expect that every year. That's a lot of receiving yards. but Especially for a school like Iowa. Yeah. So, you know, you just you hope that maybe Martin's arrival pushes him because, you know, I'm back and forth on which one that I think is going to maybe take that, you know, really take that next step. Uh, they both do different things well. So I mean it's going to be fun because if if Martin's eligible that takes it takes the wide receiver group to another level.
1: And I'll be shocked if we don't hear anything by the end of the week. I mean I I
2: do you think have to, we're, I, they have to tell you before the first game starts. I mean this is going to drop. What if we, what if like by tonight like by when we're recording this like the news could drop. It like, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. It's like a ticking bomb at this point. I mean
0: tomorrow is three days away from kickoff. Like I don't I mean obviously I don't have a lot of experience with appeals but yikes like this is getting you know, as drawn out as it possibly can, can get.
1: I will say just to just to clarify, it is a way it's a waiver at this point. It's not an appeal. Uh if their waiver gets denied then they'll they'll probably try to appeal it. Uh but no, there's been no decision. There's been no rejection. There's been no acceptance at least at the time of this recording. Uh regarding Martin. But really quick before we flip the defensive side of the ball, uh Spencer Petrus was officially named the backup quarterback today. Uh and I think we talked about this last week though I don't think it really has much bearing heading into 2020. I mean, sure, you get—mean—he'll get a few extra game snaps probably, especially in these early games, to maybe show what he can do. But the competition is gonna be wide open next year with Alex Padilla, uh, Deuce Hogan during the summer, and Peyton Manziel. And I'm interested to see what happens with Manzel. Not that I don't—you know—they get transfer. I'm saying that or anything like that. But in today's day and age if you're a redshirt sophomore and you're stuck at the third spot in the depth chart, he might look to explore the options, but again, that's all based off nothing, you know, no, no inside info or anything like that. But that's just today's day and age when it comes to, uh, quarterbacks.
2: I think we kind of assumed maybe this whole time leading up to this announcement that Petrus was kind of going to be QB too, just from based on his size and what he brings his arm, how he's really kind of come along. Um, I was told that it wasn't really too much of a difference during camp between the two with Mansell and Petrus for QB2, but I think when you look at the potential and kind of what I would like to do on offense, Petrus is kind of the guy in that regard. And I think when you look at Petrus here, so he's technically a sophomore, redshirt freshman, 19-year-old um, kid. This is a big confidence boost for him in terms of, all right, they're looking at me to be the backup. I mean, I know... Kirk said, if we were if, playing tomorrow yeah. in terms of Wednesday, but the game is not on Wednesday, that Petrus would be the starter. He's still kind of hinting towards that. Petrus is kind of our guy when Stanley goes. And I think Petrus can kind of look at that and be like, hey, like, this is going to be my team in the next year. Like, I can start taking what Stanley has now, what he's doing now, and apply that learn this whole year and then be ready to take over next year because i think i he's gonna be huge next year for Rod. i mean i don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because we already have this season to worry about but i think peters can now i mean you don't want him to get satisfied either or anything but i think now he can kind of look at like okay what do i need to do in order to be the next be, groom next. yourself yeah basically yeah. and i think too like he doesn't want to get too ahead of himself because what what God forbid something happens to Nate Stanley. He's he's the guy, so he's got to be ready. But I think this is good for him.
1: Something that I do want to mention: you we know, don't flip the defensive side of the ball when it comes to Petrus. And this is, I think, people don't realize how big this is. The O line will need to be retooled, obviously, because I, you know, Larry Jackson potentially go pro. Werfs at this point might be stupid if Werfs to come back because he's probably gonna be a top fifteen draft pick. But let's look at this. Brandon Smith Sr. next year, Emir Smith-Marset Sr. next year, a guaranteed eligible Oliver Martin next year, Tyrone Tracy next year, Nico Reganey, Makai Sargent, Irie Kelly Martin, Torn Young. I mean, he's going to have all the weapons to help smooth ease that transition besides maybe a dependable O-line, but the guys that are behind him have been in the program for two or three years for the most part. So I'm 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 kind of interested. Even
0: even guys like you know Miamen and Laporte are going to have a they're going to have a year under their belt. So that's just
2: Sean Byer. And I know Sean Byer will be back too. Obviously, Weeding
0: Weeding and Cook are both going to be gone. Drew Cook. But I mean, another. I think we're all kind of higher on the guys that came in in the in this past class at at the tight end spot. And you know we could still see one more here. Well, I guess you're gonna. Then you're gonna have Yelverton, Lachey, and I mean, Theo Johnson's even out there still. I was it's still be in a pipe it.
2: Pipe dream at this point, though, if you can get all those guys in the tight that's, end room. Yeah,
0: that's a lot. But I mean, there's a lot of talent for a guy who can sling it. Quite frankly, and I mean, I feel like you know, last week we all talked about this. We kind of speculated who QB two would be, and I think the consensus was it was Petrus. He just fits the Iowa mold better than Peyton Mansell does. And he, Peyton Mansell's a heck of a talent. Like, you watch his high school film, he's dynamic. He can throw the ball, he can run it. Iowa just hasn't had that guy. That's not their offense. They haven't had that guy since, what, Brad Banks? Brad Banks. Banks yeah, because
1: so. yeah, Ricky Sanze, Ricky Stanzi could pick up some yards with his legs, but he was never I a mean, runner. I mean, Beathard
0: was a decent athlete, Beathard, too. Beathard, yeah. I mean, but he'd he get tired after a, about 30 yards after scratching. He, he just didn't have the guy that, you know... Iowa just doesn't run that what that spread offense that teams are are going to now you know where they have that quarterback that can run and that you know they pass it's a power it's a power offense it's your traditional traditional and Spencer Petras fits that better than Peyton Mansell does.
1: and I'll say I know Sean said it's a pipe dream if the- Theo Johnson and I guess I wouldn't say it's a pipe dream but it's the mo- you know it's what guys mean to what every Iowa fan is dreaming about but you can throw Luke Lachey or Theo Johnson in the slot or just on the outside. You don't have to line them up in the trenches. And Theo Johnson's got the speed and the athleticism to do that. And I bet that's what Brian Ferentz and staffs kind of preaching to him, saying like, hey, you know, we can use you in different ways. We saw Noah Fant, uh, sophomore year. So we don't get in a discussion about his junior year usage. Sophomore year, uh, kind of get that too. But, you know, I think the Iowa tight end U, quote unquote, is being really well represented at this point. I think they're starting to get the recruits that they want, uh, but no, like like you said, I, I think you bring up a good point. That 2020, uh, I think, tight end battle for who gets starting tight ends is going to be huge because there's going to be a lot of talent there and there's going to be a lot of guys that, I mean, people don't realize how good Elijah Yelverton's a heck of a talent too. He might be Iowa's most, you know, more complete than Lachey, but Lachey's receiving is, you know, he's just a big threat in the receiving game. Uh, but let's not dive in too much to the the 2020 class. we got plenty of time to do that. Let's flip over the defensive side of the ball. Not really too many big storylines, I don't think, coming out of this week. I mean, depth chart, kind of what we expected. Although, Kevon Merriweather did hang on to that starting spot. Kerner was kind of pushing Merriweather. uh, And we kind of saw it during his Kids Day scrimmage where Merriweather was kind of lining up in a couple wrong spots and some not-so-friendly words from members of the coaching staff were
2: being had uh, to Merriweather. Yeah, I think that's just the whole part of kind of that growth too because Meriwether played mostly special teams last year still trying to get used to everything and I think Kerner now going into his third year into the program and he's a guy from Dowling too that understands the game of football and really the Iowa way too in terms of safety and whatnot and just the fact that Phil Parker that compared him to Jake Jarvass kind of got me a little a little excited just in terms of because Dervas was so reliable and so just all-around good player and really did a lot of good things well for you. Um, And if Iowa could get another Jake Javas in the program, then that's something to really be excited about. I still think Kerner's going to have kind of – I mean, he's benefited a lot from Chris Doyle's program and whatnot, but we're not really sure what – we've heard about it, but we're not really sure what he can do. He he didn't play in the kids' day scrimmage because
1: of a muscle. I think it was a muscle pull or something. It was very minor. Something very minor
0: miss a week. I mean the more the more and more, you know, I, a couple weeks ago I wrote some about you know the defensive storylines and I was a little worried about the defensive line depth, but the more and more I kind of look at it and break it down, like this defense is rock. I don't think there's any holes. You know, you have your experience at linebacker with Welch and Colbert. Uh, obviously Barrington Wade doesn't have a lot, but if you're swapping him out, the Leo and the cash it's DJ Johnson who has a lot of potential. The defensive back Room it might have the much as much depth as you know any any position group on the whole team, and then obviously the defensive line when you when your headliners AJ Epenesa and then obviously Chauncey Golston playing limited snaps last year and really performing well, and then you have two really experienced defensive tackles like this is a really good defense, and I obviously didn't see it a couple of weeks ago, but you know the more and more I broke it down, I was like you know
1: wow this is this is really opening my eyes. And I think Cedric Lattimore is a guy that's going to be very appreciated by the end of the year. Uh, I I think Davion Nixon is eventually going to take over a starting spot. I think he's going to I think he's going to be too good to keep off the field. But I've heard a lot of really good things about Cedric Lattimore, and I I, I talked to him today, and he just oozed confidence. He understands his role. He's kind of, you know, he got thrown in the fire early. I mean, he really did because he didn't redshirt. So he you know he got. He got his butt kicked a few times early on in his career, but he said that's really benefited him. Uh, and he he talked to former Iowa defensive tackle Jaleel Johnson a few days ago, and they had a big conversation about what it takes to kind of take your game the, the next level during your final year. And he he just seemed really passionate about it. And I think he, the work he's put in and then what Kelvin Bell said about him, he might not put it up on the, the stat chart, but he might be a reason why Epinesa gets 13-14 sacks this year because Cedric Lattimore gets enough pressure inside that he can absorb those double teams.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong.
1: He was oh, still I
2: pretty <laughs> he was he was he was pretty raw coming in yeah. to Iowa. Yeah he
0: was I wanna say he
1: played defensive
0: end in high school.
1: He's put on like fifty pounds since yeah. he got the yeah. like 200. I think it was like two hundred thirty five pounds, I think. So I mean that would be why yeah, why he would have been a little raw coming in. Um
0: I mean, cause seven, I mean, I think he had 17 sacks his senior year of high school. So, I mean, it's hard to get that from the defensive tackle spot. But he probably, he probably bounced around on the defensive line. But, um, yeah, no, I think you're right, Sean.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I mean, it's tough to say they'll be the best defense in the conference because Michigan State's defense could potentially be the best in the country. Northwestern's front seven is really good. Uh, But iowas I don't think, I mean, year in, year out, Phil Parker's defense you're really not going to have to worry about. Uh, But, you know, with all the inexperience at quarterback for Miami, Ohio, I mean, any of the guys that they play, they've never thrown a pass in a college game. So Iowa's defense, I mean, in all reality, probably should hold them to maybe 7 to 10 points because Iowa just doesn't shut out the main opponents. They shut out Maryland last year because of the, the Conditions in that game, I think it was like 40 mile an hour winds. Oh, uh, that's right. that game was not it supposed was to be bad. very nice this week. I think there's a lot of rain in the forecast for Saturday. Went from sunny to in 75 to like rainy and rain in, in 60. Yeah, yeah,
0: football weather,
1: baby. Yeah, rain. Well, I'll tell you what, <laughs> Iowa wants to get the run game going. Well, now they're gonna have to get it going because you don't, you know, if you don't want to throw the ball around in that in the weather. Um, but I will say this. <laughs> It might give Stanley some experience to throwing the ball in the rain because you remember the last game that he played through the rain, 19-48 against Penn State. That was the game where, really, you saw kind of the downward trend of what where Iowa was going for the season. Um, but no, kind of diving diving into a diving into Miami Ohio just a little bit. I mean, it's a game where. Is a twenty-one and a half point spread. I think Iowa should cover that, and this should be a game where a lot of those, you know, true freshmen that they like, a lot of those younger guys, a lot of the two guys should probably get some significant. I mean, probably by what twelve minutes left in the game. I mean, when Iowa holds a twenty-eight point lead, probably they should be getting plenty of space because Miami Ohio's defense under Chuck Martin uh, has been actually pretty decent, uh, and they they're 6 in their last twenty-two. Conference games so, like this isn't a bad team, a bad you know mid-major type program by any means, but they lost a lot in the defense, they lost their star linebacker, they ha- they don't have a quarterback who's experienced. So this should be a game where Iowa gets off to a fast start, which is something that they've struggled with in the last couple of years in the first game, and just you know don't take their foot off the gas pedal. Well, I mean,
0: this is a team that's yeah you know, two and nineteen outside of the MAC under Chuck Martin, so. I mean, it's it's going to be important for Iowa to get off to a fast. Or obviously, you can't let a team like this hang around because you know the longer they hang around, the more confidence they get. Uh, Inexperienced quarterback, uh, lost three of their top four rushers. Um, They probably they might even play two QBs, two or three QBs. I'm pretty sure that was brought up in the press conference today. Um, Like, how do you prepare for somebody that there's no film on, and you know it's that's difficult. Um, But I mean, this isn't a this isn't a team that's that should take Iowa to the brink. i think you know Iowa gets off to a slow start last year i think we'll probably see something similar especially if you know the conditions are what they are projected to be um but you'll see that halftime adjustment or you know even halfway through the second quarter Iowa is this is a far superior football team and you know it's only a matter of time before before that kind of shines through
2: yeah i think Kirk Ferentz today didn't really want to downplay Miami Ohio at all just because it's like the beginning of the season we've seen what Iowa has done against lesser opponents in the past to start out the season um, so I think they just want to go into it with the mentality of hey we just want to get 1-0 and on the season we don't care who we're playing good or bad we're going to approach each game the same way and take it to them no matter what and I do think Iowa comes away with a pretty big victory on Saturday but I think with the conditions and stuff it's going to be kind of hard to really blow it open.
1: I think the goals that Brian Ferentz will have is, obviously I already mentioned, they're going to want to run the football, and they're going to want to prove that they are the more physically dominant team, which is what Iowa's done traditionally since Kirk Ferentz took over. They want to prove that. They're going to run the ball. You know they're going to run the ball, but they can still run the ball on you. I think second of all is they're going to want to get Nate Stanley off. Again, Nate Stanley didn't start off great last year. He only threw, uh, I think, one touchdown through the first two games between Northern Illinois and Iowa State. So I think they're going to want to get him going early, and I think they're going to also want to get Nico Reganey, Tyrone Tracy, uh, and, you know, again, potentially Oliver Martin, kind of get that in-game chemistry between the newer receivers uh, and Stanley. So I think if those are the biggest two things that they're going to try to accomplish. Um, Miami, Ohio traditionally does play about five DBs. start. They do a lot of uh, two linebacker sets. Um, I would look for, obviously, former Iowa uh, defensive backs, Manny or probably get a start this year. So is Cedric Boswell, probably get some decent run. But Miami, Ohio did lose two of their starters from last season. So, I mean, they are replacing a lot on defense. They do have a very good nose tackle who's coming back. Six sacks on the uh, last year, about ten and a half tackles for loss, a big presence inside. But, again, this should be a game where – this is a pretty ideal setup for iowa i think to really get the run game going and get those newer receivers established
0: yeah and that's one of the one of the things i'm most excited about is to see those new guys like you know tracy and reganey and then obviously like you said david martin's eligible um i'm really going to be keeping a close eye on like the interior of that offensive line you have both paulsons um and then inside there is, is tyler linderbaum at center at center um I'm interested to see, you know, what Tyler Goodson and Sh- I'm assuming they're going to get some run because uh, I'm assuming this game's going to be a little lot of hand. So I'm interested to see what Shad Bird and Tyler Goodson, bring to the table. And then on on defense, I mean, DJ Johnson's a guy that I that I'm going to keep my eyes on, um, and then Kayvon Merriweather as well. And then um, Noah, Sh- I'm I'm interested to see what Noah Shannon can bring to the table because I feel like he can. And then obviously Davion Nixon. So the backup guys there on the interior, the defensive line.
1: No, I, I, I think you're right, though, Don. You know, another guy I'm interested in seeing, which I didn't really pay attention to that much in the, the fall scrimmage, but apparently a lot of people said played really well, Logan Lee. Because Logan Lee is now a defensive tackle, so maybe you know last six or seven minutes of the game he could get thrown in at defensive tackle because I don't know when else you're going to use him. But Logan Lee was a really good player uh, in high school. I think he's second all-time in state history in sacks. Uh, and the only reason why he didn't break the record was because – he was, I think, what he missed the last four or five weeks of the season due to a lacerated spleen. I
0: bit. want to say. Well, there was one week where he, I think he had seven in one game, and it's just, it's, I don't, it's almost disgusting. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys have ever stood next to him, but he's he lo- he's, oh, yeah. he's big, big. He's I a saw big him walking in class yesterday. Yeah, he's huge. I mean, I saw him last year before a game, just outside the stadium, and he was big. He was big then. So you think about now, where he's had some time to you know, put on a few pounds, like how much bigger is this? Like, this is a big kid, so, I mean, that's not surprising.
1: I'll say this too. He was a guy that I thought would be a year one tight end impact. So the fact that they're switching him to D tackle not even DN, D tackle I think proves that they're very high on his ability. But similar to Tyler Linderbaum, and I did actually I did want to bring up Linderbaum quick because I asked uh, Nate Stanley earlier, when did he kind of say, okay, this actually could work out. Ty- Tyler's really picking it up. He said the first week, when Tyler switched, uh, there was a play where Stanley he like uh, Linderbaum called out the blitz uh, and got off a perfect shotgun snap, and he blocked a guy. And Stanley was just said that's just incredible for a guy that just switched during bull prep to be able to kind of analyze the defense like that, make the correct callouts. Uh, and he said, yeah, he I mean he was very high. On uh, what Tyler Linderbaum's could bring to the table.
0: I mean, you think about a guy like like he he was a great athlete at Solon, obviously. And you think about Iowa as a program like they wouldn't make this switch if they didn't think that this was the right move. You know, you think about Kirk Ferentz's, you know, his tenure as an offensive line coach at how many different places and just his background. They wouldn't just do this just to do this. Like they knew that this guy was going to excel at the center position. So I mean. To hear Stanley say something like that, it, it's not surprising. And he's a, he's a good enough athlete where he's going to be, you know, it's this redshirt freshman. This could be a you know three or four year starter.
1: And I was going to say this too, Kirk Ferentz has a very soft spot for centers. Kirk Ferentz loves his centers. He loves offensive line. In fact, Kirk said he'd love to go back to being a position coach before he retired. Uh, and he'd love to coach the offensive line, which is something that's just kind of uh, random to me, but you know, like, like we've kind of mentioned, I think this is a game where we all feel pretty strongly about Iowa's chances going in. Again, it's a night game in Kinnick, too. I mean, there's really no reason for a slow start. Um, all the lights will be on. The players will be excited. The new tunnel, the newly remodeled end zone, the first wave of the season. I mean, just a
2: lot of factors going into it. Uh, Miami, Dave's, Ohio's – Dave's a, a lot. Dave's all, all his coffee that he's going to consume. Too. Yep,
0: that's true. <laughs> Over under 13 cups of coffee. I push. You push
2: it? I push it. Yeah. The thing that's annoying too is like Dave will like brag to me that he's drinking his coffee. I'm like, dude, I honestly don't care. (laughs) Like, shut up. (laughs) I was really Got my, my shotgun, my uh, double espresso in
0: the you're morning. You're going to save some for the rest of the guys or just – No. You're going to say, hey, get on it. The Nebraska gonna guys said
1: they were happy that I, I, I'm gone. Stop covering Nebraska now because they all actually have coffee in the press box. You probably
0: put a dent in the budget because they had to probably more did. coffee because, because Dave's out there
1: drinking. That's why that's that's why they stopped <laughs> serving cookies at halftime and only stuck with popcorn. <laughs> they stopped serving cookies? Yeah, for like a couple games they did. And I'm what? like, I'm pretty sure it's because I put the dent in the uh, coffee. I just put a dent in the budget. Dude, those
2: sugar cookies were unreal. <laughs>
1: anyway, <laughs> enough from my uh, coffee guy, ventures. You guys in your caffeine. Holy crap. But, uh, your sugar.
2: I just rest on just pure energy. Just being a kid. <laughs> Thanks to the uh, heartwarming tale of
1: the, the the innocence of child youth, just the innocence of youth, Sean. I pre- we appreciate it. Yeah, what did you just start fifteenth grade the other day?
2: Yeah, did first yeah. day was yesterday Monday. Or did
0: you post a uh, first day of school picture? You did. Yeah, I did. No, you didn't post a picture, but you posted something I on Twitter. Something. Yeah. Oh yeah, back to school.
1: <laughs> back to school. Baby.
0: <laughs> It was a <laughs> gif. It was a gif of a little girl running, can't wait to learn. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. And then Sean skips two classes. Oh, yeah, that was um, not true at all. Better hope your Sorry, professors I'll... aren't listening to this. <laughs> but, no, I, again, I, I, think, I think there's too many things going in Iowa's favor in this game. New quarterback for Miami, Ohio. They do have a couple good wide receivers that will test the secondary, but the secondary is still experienced enough. I am interested to see with the new quarterbacks if they try to go deep because if they see the inexperience with Merriweather or Kerner, because if Kerner could play, if they take a couple deep shots down the field early to try to kind of crack it open and get them off to a hot start. But I think there's just too many big question marks for Miami, Ohio. I think Iowa I, Iowa still has a couple question marks, but they're a much more complete team, as you'd probably expect when you're, you know, a big ten versus a Mac. Opponent, Well, big time if you're not Rutgers, uh, versus Oof. a Mac opponent. Well, I mean, come on. Let's be real. Uh, <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, let's go final score prediction. I think we kind of got the preview out of the way. Obviously, we'll have much more content at HawkeyeInsider.com throughout the rest of the week. Um, previewing up to the big season opener with Miami, Ohio. Uh, Dylan, you want to
0: start it off? Yeah, sure. Why not? Let's go th- 33-7, to seven, somewhere in there. I don't think that – I think Miami, Ohio gets a gets a garbage touchdown at some point. I think Iowa, slow start, but um, – So I, similar to Northern gonna...
1: Illinois last year when it's 33-7 last year?
0: Yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I just did that.
2: <laughs> Sean, what you got? 28-3. to 3. Actually, I was feeling 38-10, but then I was like, you know what? Conditions are going to be crappy, so might as well just – they do cover. I think they cover.
1: Sean just didn't want to be right because I was going to say 38-10. So there's your uh, <laughs> there's your bold prediction. But no, I mean, as you all expect, I think Iowa starts off 1-0. I think they hold an advantage at virtually every position hanging into this game. Uh, not enough big question marks. And then, I, you know, I, I do think it's a good thing. Hanging is a Big Ten opponent. They're going against Rutgers next week, but before the really big game against <laughs> – Iowa State but Iowa starts off one 0 uh like we kind of mentioned I think last week that we're gonna move the podcast to Tuesdays now because it allows us to hear what Brian uh, Kirk Ferris has to say and the players have to say heading into the game it allows us more kind of I think insight to what's actually you know happening what's going on in the players minds uh, and the way they're kind of game planning so that
0: gives us a little bit more to talk about too yeah for sure,
1: sure. instead of just speculating well obviously probably'll we'll probably do briefly talk about the Past weeks too, I know we're. I mean, Sean and I are uh, expecting to do an instant reaction podcast at the end of every game at 20 minutes about you know just whatever happens. So they get posted
0: at two in the morning and yeah, listen to it on yep.
1: Sunday morning. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be, it's gonna be it's gonna be a late night. This first week is gonna be a late night. Well,
0: you could have some fans that are that are still you know what? Party hang, and hang hang on be the, listening to I'll
1: it. I'll take the over on that coffee now because I just remembered it's gonna be oh, up until about two thirty. Yeah, night. I'll I'll take the over. Start on drinking on that. the coffee
0: about eight a.m. and don't stop till about eight p.m.
1: Yeah, I'll probably be drinking it later, till I'll probably be till about two, two drink coffee till about two a.m. not nah, like there's no way that that's good for you, Dave. There's a study that came out a week and a half ago that said eight cups of coffee helps you live longer. So what I'm trying to tell you is I'm immortal. Yikes! <laughs> but now let's get to it for uh, this week's Swarmcast. We'll be back Saturday, Saturday night slash Sunday morning after uh, after uh, Iowa and Miami, Ohio. As always, stay tuned to HawkeyeInsider.com for the latest. For David Eichholt, Sean Bach, and Dylan Byrne. I'll talk to you again Saturday. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24 7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24 hour streaming channel serving non stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition